Chapter 3 Europe in the Middle Ages by Ierna Lifford Plunkett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 3 The Dawn of Christianity. When Augustus became Emperor of Rome, Jesus Christ was not yet born. With the exception of the Jews who believed in the one Almighty Jehovah, most of the races within the boundaries of the empire worshipped a number of gods and these according to popular tales were no better than the men and women who burned incense at their altars but differed from them only in being immortal and because they could yield to their passions and desires with greater success the roman god jupiter who was the same as the greek zeus was often described as king of gods and men but far from proving himself an impartial judge and ruler, the legends in which he appears show him cruel, faithless, and revengeful. Juno, the Greek Hera, queen of heaven, was jealous and implacable in her wrath, as the much-enduring hero Ulysses found when from time after time her spite drove him from his homeward course from Troy. Mercury, the messenger of the gods, was merely a cunning thief most of the thoughtful greeks and romans it is true came to regard the old mythology as a series of tales invented by their primitive ancestors to explain mysterious facts of nature like fire thunder earthquakes because however this form of worship had played so great a part in national history patriotism dictated that it should not be forgotten entirely and therefore emperors were raised to the number of the gods and citizens of rome whether they believed in their hearts or no continued to burn incense before the altars of jupiter juno or augustus in token of their loyalty to the empire the human race has found it almost impossible to believe in nothing for man is always seeking theories to explain his higher nature and why it is he recognizes so early the difference between right and wrong far back in the third and fourth centuries before christ greek philosophers had discussed the problem of the human soul and some of them had laid down rules for the leading of the best possible life epicurus taught that since our present life is the only one man must make it his object to gain the greatest amount of pleasure that he can of course this doctrine gave an opening to people who wished to live only for themselves but epicurus himself had been simple almost ascetic in his habits and had clearly stated that although pleasure was his object yet we cannot live pleasantly without living wisely nobly and righteously the self-indulgent man will defeat his own ends by ruining his health and character until he closes his days not in pleasure but in misery another greek philosopher was zeno whose followers were called stoics from the stoa or porch of the house in athens in which he taught his first disciples zeno believed that man's fortune was settled by destiny and that he could only find true happiness by hardening himself until he grew indifferent to his fate death pain loss of friends defeated ambitions all these the stoic must face without yielding to fear grief or passion brutus the leader of the conspirators who slew julius caesar was a stoic and shakespeare in his tragedy shows the self-control that brutus exerted 
when he learned that his wife, Portia, whom he loved, had killed herself. The teaching of Epicurus and Zeno did something during the Roman Empire to provide ideals after which men could strive, but neither could hold out hopes of a happiness without end or blemish. The Hades of the old mythology was no heaven, but a world of shades beyond the river Styx, gloomy alike for good and bad. At the gate stood the three-headed monster Cerberus, ready to prevent souls from escaping once more to light and sunshine. Paganism was thus a sad religion for all who thought of the future, and this is one of the reasons why the tidings of Christianity were received so joyfully. When St. Paul went to Athens, he found an altar set up to the unknown God, showing that men and women were out of sympathy with their old beliefs and seeking an answer to their doubts and questions. He tried to tell the Greeks that the Christ he preached was the God they sought, but those who heard him ridiculed the idea that a Jewish peasant who had suffered the shameful death of the cross could possibly be divine. The earliest followers of Christianity were not, as a rule, cultured people like the Athenians, but those who were poor and ignorant. To them, Christ's message was one of brotherhood and love overriding all differences between classes and nations. Yet it did not merely attract because it promised immortality and happiness. It also set up a definite standard of right and wrong. The Jewish religion had laid down the Ten Commandments as the rule of life but the Jews had never tried to persuade other nations to obey them. Rather, they had jealously guarded their beliefs from the Gentiles. The Christians, on the other hand, had received the direct command to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And even the slave, when he felt within himself the certainty of his new faith, would be sure to talk about it to others in his household. In time, the strange story would reach the ears of his master and mistress, and they would begin to wonder if what this fellow believed so earnestly could possibly be true. In a brutal age, when the world was largely ruled by physical force, Christianity made a special appeal to women and to the higher type of men who hated violence. One argument in its favor amongst the observant was the life led by the early Christians, their gentleness, their meekness, and their constancy. It is one thing to suffer an insult through cowardice, quite another to bear it patiently and yet be brave enough to face torture and death rather than surrender convictions. Christian martyrs taught the world that their faith had nothing in it mean or spiritless. Perhaps it may seem strange that men and women whose conduct was so quiet and inoffensive should meet with persecution at all. Christ had told his disciples to render under Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and the strength of Christianity lay not in rebellion to the civil government, but in submission. This is true, yet the Christian who paid his taxes and took care to avoid breaking the laws of his province would find it hard all the same to live at peace with pagan fellow citizens. Like the Jew, he could not pretend to worship gods whom he considered idols. He could not offer incense at the altars of Jupiter and Augustus. He could not go to a pagan feast and pour out a libation of wine to some deity, nor hang laurel branches sacred to the nymph Daphne over his door on occasions of public rejoicing. 
such neglect of ordinary customs made him an object of suspicion and dislike amongst neighbors who did not share his faith a hint was given here and there by mischief-makers and confirmed with nods and whisperings that his quietness was only a cloak for evil practices in secret and this grew into a rumor throughout the empire that the murder of newborn babies was part of the christian rites had the christians proved more pliant the imperial government might have cleared their name from such imputations and given them protection but it also distrusted their refusal to share in public worship lax themselves the emperors were ready to permit the god of the jews or christians a place amongst their own deities and then they could not understand the attitude of mind that objected to a like toleration of jupiter or juno the commandment thou shalt have none other gods but me found no place in their faith and they therefore accused the christians and jews of want of patriotism and used them as scapegoats for the popular fury when occasion required in the reign of nero a tremendous fire broke out in rome that reduced more than half the city to ruins the emperor who was already unpopular because of his cruelty and extravagance fearing that he would be held responsible for the calamity declared hastily that he had evidence that the fire was planned by christians and so the first serious persecution of the new faith began here is part of an account given by tacitus whose history the german tribes we have already noticed Quote, he nero inflicted the most exquisite tortures on those men who under the vulgar appellation of christians were already branded with deserved infamy they died in torments and their torments were embittered by insult and derision some were nailed on crosses others sewn up in the skins of wild beasts and exposed to the fury of dogs others again smeared over with combustible materials were used as torches to illuminate the darkness of the night the gardens of nero were destined for this melancholy spectacle which was accompanied with a horse race and honored with the presence of the emperor unquote. tacitus himself was a pagan and hostile to the christians yet he admits that this cruelty aroused sympathy nevertheless the persecutions continued under different emperors some of them unlike nero wise rulers and good men these people wrote the spanish emperor trajan referring to the christians should not be searched for but if they are informed against and convicted they should be punished marcus aurelius declared that those who acknowledged that they were christians should be beaten to death and during his reign men and women were tortured and killed on account of their faith in every part of the empire the test required by the magistrates was nearly always the same that the accused must offer wine and incense before the statue of the emperor and revile the name of christ the motive that inspired these later emperors was not nero's innate love of cruelty or desire of finding a scapegoat but genuine fear of a sect that grew rapidly in numbers and wealth and that threatened to interfere with the ordinary worship of the temples so bound up with the national life in the reign of trajan the governor of bithynia wrote to the emperor complaining that on account of the spread of christian teaching little money was now spent in buying sacrificial beasts nor he added are cities alone permeated by the contagion of this superstition but villages and country parts as well 
emperors and magistrates were at first confident that if only they were severe enough in their punishments the new religion could be crushed out of existence instead it was the imperial government that collapsed while christianity conquered europe very early in the history of christianity the apostles had found it necessary to introduce some form of government into the church and later as the faith spread from country to country there arose in each province men who from their goodness influence or learning were chosen by their fellow christians to control the religious affairs of the neighborhood these were called episcopi or bishops from the latin word episcopus an overseer tradition claims that peter was the first bishop of the church in rome and that during the reign of nero he was crucified for loyalty to the christ he had formerly denied to help the bishops a number of presbyters or priests were appointed and below these again deacons who should undertake the less responsible work the first deacons had been employed in distributing the alms of the wealthier members of the congregation amongst the poor and though in early days the sum received were not large yet as men of every rank accepted christianity regardless of scorn or danger and made offerings of their goods the revenues of the church began to grow the bishops also became persons of importance in the world around them in time emperors and magistrates whose predecessors had believed in persecution came to recognize that it was not an advantage to the government even a danger and instead they began to consult and honor the men who were so much trusted by their fellow citizens at last in the fourth century there succeeded to the throne an emperor who looked on christianity not with hatred or dread but with friendly eyes as a more valuable ally than the paganism of his fathers this was the emperor constantine the great End of chapter three